Chapter 14 of Conciliatory or Irenical Animadversions on the Controversies Agitated in Britain under the Unhappy Names of Antinomians and Neonomians by Herman Witsius. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Concerning the Covenant of Grace I see the following things controverted concerning the Covenant of Grace. 1. Whether it consists entirely in that eternal compact between the Father and the Son, as the representative head of all the elect, whereby the Son undertook, according to the will of the Father, to do all things worthy of the divine perfections, that the elect might obtain salvation in a manner becoming God, or whether there must also be acknowledged a certain compact between God and the elect, concerning the manner whereby they may actually become partakers of the salvation purchased by Christ. 2. Whether Christ so took upon himself all the conditions of the covenant of grace, that no condition at all is required, or can be required, of the elect, to be performed by the grace of God through the merit of Christ prior to the actual possession of salvation. I find so many things here in which the brethren agree that provided party zeal and the obstinacy of defending what has once been said were laid aside, I would hope that little controversy would remain concerning the subject itself. If I am not mistaken, both parties agree in this, that they acknowledge the wonderful compact between the Father and the Son, concerning procuring the salvation of the elect, wherein the Son represented them all, being to do these things for them, which otherwise it was incumbent on them to do. Nay, I also trust impartial judges will grant me that they acknowledge there is a certain federal transaction between God and the elect, concerning the manner wherein they are to please God, and to enjoy happiness, though perhaps they will not yet acknowledge that it should be comprehended in the definition of the covenant of grace. For such a federal transaction is so often and so expressly taught in Scripture that it would not seem it can be called in question. Such a covenant God made with Abraham and with his seed, Genesis 17, where, having first said that he is God all-sufficient, he requires that he walk continually before him and be perfect again he promises that he will be a god to him and to his seed after him but he also requires that he keep his covenant for the confirmation of which he gives him the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of faith what solemn federal transactions between the israelites and god are often on record which indeed i do not deny may be called national yet it is so far from being true that they contained anything opposite to the genius of the covenant of grace that is on the contrary they implied and supposed that covenant, at least in respect of the elect, of whom it is said, Psalm 55, Gather me my favourites, who have made a covenant with me upon a sacrifice. And Psalm 103, 17 and 18, The mercy of the Lord is towards such as keep his covenant. Isaiah 24, 5, They make void the everlasting covenant. And Jeremiah 55, They shall join themselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant, which shall not be forgotten. I omit a great many other things of the like nature which I do not now choose warmly to urge. Only I contend at present that they evince in general that besides the eternal covenant between the Father and the Son, there is a certain covenant made in time betwixt God and the elect. It is also confessed that the true condition of the covenant of grace, and properly so called, whereby it is chiefly distinguished from the covenant of works, is this that all that righteousness upon which the right to life is entirely founded be performed by the mediator and surety of the covenant from whence it follows that this righteousness of the surety being admitted no condition properly so called can be required of the elect whereby they may acquire freedom from punishment or a right to life 
nay also all grant this that the apostle often designs the covenant of grace under the name of a testament now the testament is the unchangeable will of god suspended on no condition which having all its strength from the death of the testator cannot be suspended on any condition to be performed by man especially since in the same testament god hath provided no less concerning the faith and holiness of the heirs than concerning salvation itself hence it is that the form of the covenant consists sometimes of mere promises jeremiah thirty one thirty three and thirty two thirty eight thirty nine and forty neither is it controverted that these very things which in a certain respect are called conditions by some belong in another to the benefits of the covenant for in the same covenant god promises repentance faith the beginning progress and uninterrupted continuation of the new life no less than its blessed consummation as appears from jeremiah's prophecies just now quoted it is also certain that in the greatest wisdom and holiness god has so appointed that none should obtain salvation except in the way of faith and sanctification and has arranged his promises in that order that the further and more perfect good should pertain to none but to him who should already be partaker of the antecedent promises for it is impossible that any should please god without faith or see him without holiness in fine it cannot be denied that scripture sometimes exhibits the form of the covenant of grace in a conditional style romans ten eight and nine this is the word of faith which we preach if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the lord jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that god raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved john thirteen seventeen if ye know these things happy shall ye be if ye do them again fourteen twenty three if any man love me he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him and so often elsewhere and in this sense some condition is to be admitted in the covenant of grace inasmuch as it signifies a duty according to the will of god to be performed by man in a manner agreeable to the nature of that covenant before he enter upon the possession of consummate salvation if in all these things there be an agreement as i hope there will strange brethren what is it concerning which you contend on this head in place of a supplement i choose to subjoin the most excellent charmier's opinion on this controversy of which let the learned judge disputing in his panstrat volume three book fifteen chapter three against bellamine he teaches that the true and determinate difference between the law of works and that of faith is the condition of works and of faith that is that the law of works proposes salvation upon condition of performing the law but the law of faith proposes it upon condition only of believing in christ lest however he should leave anything unexplained he observes that conditions in contracts are of two kinds some of which may be called antecedent others consequent he calls these antecedent which give rise to the contract according to the maxim i give that thou mayest give as when one sells a field for a certain sum of money but the consequent conditions are added to the antecedent as following from them which indeed are mutual between the parties but oblige the one only so that the other is bound to do no more on their account as if one having given or sold a plot of land should assign an annuity to be laid out upon the poor now conditions of that kind when not performed usually disannul the contract and yet they do not constitute it nay there would be no annuity unless the sale were already full and complete this distinction that very learned divine applies to the present purpose in the following manner the law of works requires the fulfilling of the law as an antecedent condition without which not only no man can enter upon the possession of eternal life but cannot so much as have a right to it 
but the law of faith does not admit of works as a condition in this sense but only in the other viz that by virtue of the life already given through faith works are necessary so that he who shows no works falls from every right which he had or rather seemed to have on account of his external vocation although otherwise works are not the causes of the life to be given thus far charmia compare tuckney in his theological prelections page two three three End of chapter 14